the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Okay, welcome to the College Planning Edge podcast. I am your host, Andy Lockwood from Lockwood College Prep. And I'm a little off my game, pardon the stuffy, nasally uh, tone here, battling a rough case of the sniffles. This podcast is not about me complaining. It's about giving college-bound families the edge in college planning, which you may or may not have figured out from the title. What I mean by edge in college planning is if you are stressed out and uptight, you don't have confidence or clarity, you're all confused about what you should be doing now and deadlines and opportunities in terms of getting into college, identifying best fit colleges, um, figuring out how to crush the SAT or the ACT, paying for college, scholarships, financial aid, um, choosing a, a major that's going to actually be both satisfying and get you off mom and dad's payroll. Those are all the things uh, that kind of swirl around each time we do one of these episodes today because I'm recording this at the end of February. It's appropriate, it's an appropriate time of year to talk about how to appeal a lousy offer from the financial aid office or admissions in in the case of scholarships. So I'm going to go through a summarized version of the class that I offer. It's a course, a miniature course or master class that I offer on how to appeal or negotiate a financial aid offer. And I'll put that information in the show notes if you're interested in in learning more and getting examples of actual letters that I've written. I've broken down um, this this presentation into nine steps. And I want to talk to you today about tips and tactics that we have personally used to help clients um, dramatically improve their initial offers. Um, last year, I had a uh, had one day where a client went from an, an initial offer of zero to fifty-two thousand dollars for that one year from Penn University of Pennsylvania. So this is a real-world um, episode here. But the other thing I want to say before you get all excited is that I don't have a magic wand, and this doesn't work for everyone. And um, literally that same day last spring that I received that result from one client, I had another client who I did substantially, you know, there's, there's nuances, but substantially the same type of appeal for, and they got zero. So they all don't succeed. Um, I just saw an estimate that only about 1% of appeals nationally succeed which is not my personal experience, but I don't I don't know about nationally. I'm sort of more at the anecdotal end because I may have written um, 85 or 90-ish letters of appeal last season, last cycle, and I'd say roughly 33 to 40-something percent will will succeed somewhat, you know, meaning getting at least a couple thousand dollars more. Um, I think it's always worth trying. You know, you have nothing to lose except in one particular case, which I'll uh, try to remember at th- at the end. But um, the, where I saw that stat was in a book by a gentleman named Mark uh, Kantorowitz. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the name correctly. But he, in my opinion, is the sort of premier scholar in the college finance area, and he's written a bunch of 
um, books, and he's behind uh, a couple of famous, at least at least popular websites, um, or he, ha- he or he has been at one time or another, in uh, such as um, findaid.org and a few others. He um, his book was about three hundred pages on how how to appeal a financial aid award. A uh, very small portion of it was actually on how to appeal. A lot of it was really good background, but it was a textbook almost because there's, you know, out of that 300 pages, I'd say about half um, were statutory citations of, you know, the authority that financial aid officers operate under in terms of um, what they're allowed to do by the Department of Education and the rules that they promulgated and stuff like that. So I'm actually working on a book that is a sort of more practical and shorter um, for the ADD generation, which I put myself in. And um, I I think it's going to be a nice supplement to that. But getting back to what he said, um, you know, there there are financial aid appeals and there are scholarship appeals. I'm going to cover both of these in this episode, but don't think that they're going to work for, for everyone. Um, if you have someone who is not a senior, who's, who's a junior in high school or younger, keep in mind that the best defense is a good offense. And what I mean by that is it's really good to, when you compile your final list of schools um, over the summer and into the fall, is to have at least, you know, if you have 10 or 12 colleges, it's good to have two or three in, on that list that compete with each other for the main purpose of soliciting a competing merit scholarship or need-based financial aid offer so that you can have that in your hip pocket as leverage to use to go back to your top choice school. So um, that's a quick comment there. I'm going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. Okay, that's my alarm, meaning that we're done. No, I'm kidding, just starting. Okay, so... um, Step number one out of the nine steps to appeal a lousy offer is understanding, it's all about mindsets, understanding that colleges are businesses. They need to put butts in seats. They have their own institutional agendas. They also are um, very aware of something called the yield, which is the ratio of, of students that they admit versus the ones that actually matriculate. So that is part of the their um, their factors that they think about. And because they're businesses with limited budgets, they don't necessarily give their highest and best offers. What you should also understand is that you, mom or dad, and actually your youngster, is also in business. And that's the business of not only promoting your candidacy, your child's candidacy, to um, explain this is why you should accept me, even though my grades and my standardized test scores are roughly equivalent of five or 10,000 other kids, but it's also, this is why I deserve money. So um, the final comment I'll make on mindset is that you, if you don't ask, you don't get, you're not going to necessarily get the highest and best offer. So understand that you you have nothing to lose um, by asking for more. You're not going to rescind your offer. Sometimes I, people ask me that. Well, if we ask for more money, I'm afraid that they're going to say, no, you can't have any more money, and by the way, you can't come here anymore. No. Um, they would not turn away someone who's eager to pay them two hundred and fifty to $300,000 over four years just because you're asking for a little more money. Don't be silly. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about 
um, arguments about your students, meaning uh, merit scholarship types of offers. If you have a, a strong student who is like number one or number two in the class or a national merit scholar or high other academic achievements, that type of information is very important to tell a, um, to tell a um, probably more of an admissions officer than a financial aid officer, but I would explain that in both cases because um, colleges love to brag about their high-achieving class. They always send out you know, each year uh, letters to the effect of, wow, this we can't believe how many applications we got from so many qualified kids from all over the world, and we had a Nobel Prize winner and an astronaut, and a, you know. <clears throat> so that is very important. And what I want to point out to you here is that, um, and this is actually in contrast to that, to that book I mentioned earlier by Mark Kantrowitz, um, a lot of the appealing has to do with um, not just stuff in the statutes and the formulas, but also um, non-formulaic and sort of emotional or I don't know what the right word is, but uh, certainly not data-driven stuff like what I am mentioning right here. So if you're appealing a need-based financial aid award, I'm going to spend some time on that. That has a lot to do with the financial aid formulas. It has to do with your expected family contribution and explaining factors that um, do not go into that EFC calculation but are extraneous and unknown to the financial aid office so that then hopefully they can adjust that that is one type of appeal which is the you know the the, the, the big basis of um, that other book I mentioned but there's all this other stuff that I would say throw in there too because to, more so to the admissions people because they care about non-formulaic stuff. They love to brag. And I'll say also that even schools that claim that they are need-based, such as Ivy League colleges, and furthermore, schools that claim they don't match, they don't match offers from other schools, that all goes out the window if they want a kid badly enough. So if you're a purist, and you're, you say something, well, Harvard looked at my financial aid offer, at my, at my financial aid application, and they decided I, I have no need, so they gave me zero. But I also got into Princeton, who looked at the same financial aid factors, and they gave me $32,000. I guess I'll just go to Princeton. I, I wouldn't stop there. That's an actual example, by the way, which is crazy, because you'd think that if they're looking at the same income, same assets, and all that, they would have similar awards. No, you don't stop there. Instead, what you do is you take the Princeton offer to Harvard, and, and in this example that I'm thinking of for our, our client, uh, Steve, and his son, Alec, um, they showed that to Harvard, and Harvard, the admissions person said literally, well, you know, we don't match, but we'll take another look. So they came back with, you know, $33,000 or something, you know, something very cl close but slightly higher than the Princeton offer. So then they went back to Princeton and, at the end of the day, they ended up getting an award uh, at Harvard at, for $56,000 or $57,000 up from zero. Furthermore, um, the dad is a pretty successful dentist. He does not show financial need, and Harvard and Princeton and Ivy Leagues are all need-based schools. So going back to my point here, there are formulaic and non-formulaic considerations 
and I've been in this field uh, more than 18 years. I've seen what I believe to be everything. I no longer trust or believe colleges that say we don't negotiate and we don't we don't match because I've seen the contrary. Now these are exceptions, but I see them every year. So you know, and again, if I'm working with you know 50 to 100 clients each year. Uh, you may that may seem like a large amount, but there's three million kids who graduate high school every year, so it's really a small m- amount statistically. So if I'm seeing it on my level, it has to happen a lot more. Okay, so number two were student arguments. Um, if you have an athlete, this is the uh, third component here, um, and you are let's say applying um, to Division One schools or or D two or D three. Understand that there are athletic scholarships that are given out at the D1, D2 level, not the D3 level. However, if you have a D, you know mo- most of the kids that I work with are D3. We have a handle of D, uh, sorry, handful of D1, but um, it's mostly D3, which there are no quote unquote athletic scholarships. However, if a coach wants a kid badly enough, they will somehow find money. I've seen it happen every year. Uh, we have clients who go to my alma mater, Wesleyan University, um, and play lacrosse there. They did not show any financial need on paper that I could identify, and they ended up getting roughly $17,000 each year from Wesleyan because the kid played lacrosse, and they, and they wanted him. That's the only explanation that I could tell you. If an identical family financially who, who was not uh, a, a student-athlete applied for financial aid, I can promise you dollars to donuts that they would not get any money. So need is in the eye of the beholder. Um, if you have an athlete, that's all, all, this, all the offers, whether athletic or non-athletic, all these offers are negotiable. I would argue that the best type of money to get is non-athletic because if, you des- if your child decides not to continue in year two or three playing for the team, but they like the school, um, they would lose an athletic scholarship, but they would not lose an academic scholarship provided they had a good minimum GPA that was sufficient to maintain that scholarship. So um, so keep that in mind, too. All right. If you have a, a kid with other types of talents, such as performing arts or even um, leadership stuff or STEM or uh, even uh, community service, uh, religious you know, stuff talents, attractiveness, whatever, these are all important things to highlight to a financial aid office too. And, a, and a, I should say an admissions office. I, I keep switching back and forth. My policy is whenever I'm writing an appeal letter, uh, virtually every time I'm sending them to admissions and most of the time sending to financial aid also. So if you are appealing a need-based award, which again I'm getting to, of course, the financial aid office needs to get that. But I would also CC admissions. If you are appealing a merit award, meaning something that's not based on your income and all your financial aid application information, I always uh, include admissions. And, and occasionally, if there's a need component or need argument, then I would also include financial aid. So if you have a talented kid... Um, or someone who's you know is a standout in one of these areas that I just mentioned, you know, performing arts or leadership, religion, that type of thing, Eagle Scout, you know, that type of stuff. I, w- I would certainly highlight that um, to admissions for for sure, and because uh, that's attractive, you know, that's 
again, that's stuff for them to brag about. You think about your child objectively, not not um, subjectively, and think about if I ran a college and my kid and, and this kid were admitted, would he be someone that we'd be bragging about to the outside world? Um, I know it's hard for some parents to think objectively about their kids, but that's the way you should really discipline yourself. Okay, number five, understanding the um, that each college has their own agenda. And um, in many cases, these days, in contrast to uh, maybe five to ten years ago or longer, um, it used to be just private universities that were obsessed with um, building a class with underrepresented minorities, kids from all over the um, the country or even the world, um, legacies, that type of stuff. But now, increasingly, it's also public schools. So we have clients in the state of New York and out of the state of New York. When I say public school, I mean any state university. They all have, unless we're talking about the super elite schools, they all have the institutional agenda of wanting to not have empty seats. And they all now have the institutional agenda of wanting to have um, highly credentialed, in terms of GPA and SAT or ACT score, kids. And they're all going after um, people who have the ability, six-figure and, and more earning families, who have the ability to pay a lot, if not all, at least on paper, of the cost. They would much rather, if they had a hypothetical pool of $60,000, let's say, whether it's a state school or, um, or a private college, uh, virtually every school would rather give four $15,000 awards to uh, four six-figure mass affluent type families, even ones that could pay full price, as opposed to giving an all-in-one shot to a low-income family because each of these colleges is all about building their community and their endowment that comes mainly from loyal and happy alums who graduate and give back. So they don't even wait, by the way, when to, to raise funds for you to graduate. Um, the client I mentioned before who's playing lacrosse at Wesleyan, uh, the mom told me a couple of weeks ago that before they even played their first game, th- uh, the team was already soliciting the parents for donations, you know, for the uh, for the for the team. So not only at the Division three level are there no athletic scholarships, but it can actually cost you money before you even start playing because they're looking for they're looking for, you know, help financing equipment and travel costs and and so forth. So understand that colleges care about you know, if you're a six figure earning family, you are very highly desirable. And if you're from a different part of the country or the world. Um, and, or if, you know, if there's a, uh, a legacy involved, meaning um, a parent or a grandparent went to that particular school, uh, the, the, the college has that interest in self-perpetuating. You know, it's like an organism. You know, we all we're all bred to self-perpetuate. You know, to 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 to, um, to mate and stuff. Well, colleges are the same way. So understand that too. Okay, so now I want to talk about the formulaic versus non-formulaic stuff. So <clears throat> the um, now, I, I wrote a whole other book on this, and, and we give presentations about this all the time. But there is a, um, a financial aid formula 
that the important thing to understand is this EFC, expected family contribution. And the EFC is comprised of 77 factors. The most um, important one is your income. Income meaning your um, taxable and untaxable income, all income. And then there's savings and other stuff. What's not included in the formulas, and this is a design flaw, are expenses for the most part. Some schools will look at mortgage expenses, but other than that, there really aren't any expenses to speak of. Furthermore, to, to make things more complicated, if you are completing a form for a, someone who graduates in 2020, those forms, the FAFSA and the CSS profile, get released in October of uh, 2019. The information on, about your income that goes in these forms will be derived from 2018, which the Department of Education refers to as prior, prior, or, or two-year income look back. So by the time your kid graduates in June of 2020, you will have received an award from the college based on your 2018 income two years ago. Here's the issue. Let's say that you are self-employed and your income fluctuates. You maybe had a strong year in 2018, but the reality since then has been far less than rosy. There's no way that the financial aid office would know that because it's not part of the formulas. So, um, so that's one type of special circumstance that is not so it doesn't feel special, but that's that's the nomenclature for the financial aid office that you need to highlight, which is an, uh, a drop in income. And that is a classic special circumstance, as a classic textbook appeal that uh, should succeed in helping lower your expected family contribution. Now, you won't see a number that gets lowered, but you should see a financial aid office um, adjusting your, your, uh, your letter, your offer. Um, what's another one? Another one are unusual expenses. Uh, so I mentioned before that expenses aren't usually considered, in the, they're not considered at all, I should say, in the formulas. But if you have some kind of special stuff that bears on your ability to pay for college that they don't know about, then anything like that should be part of the appeal. So, for example, if you had really super high medical expenses stemming from um, unreimbursed, you know, maybe you had to do chemotherapy or something, you know, something horrible like that, or let's say you had you went you're going through divorce and you had you know super high legal bills which is not too hard for me to imagine as a recovering attorney myself because in divorce proceedings it's usually the attorneys who make out better than the, the clients but that of course would have a big bearing on your ability to pay let's say that you were supposed to have been your divorce and you're supposed to have received um, alimony or child support or, or other types of income but you didn't from your ex-spouse. And it's always the deadbeat dad, by the way. It's never a deadbeat mom. I always see that. Uh, th that also bears on your ability to pay. Here's an example of what doesn't work. I live in a very high-tax area in suburban New York, and our property taxes are through the roof. They went up. 
That is not new information because they saw your application already with your address and zip code. And most of the time, the financial aid office will look at that as a choice. Um, other discretionary expenses, such as sending the kids to camp, sending the kids to um, all kinds of tutoring, enrichment programs, sports travel teams, that type of stuff, don't even bother mentioning those to a financial aid office because they will roll their eyes. Um, frankly, most people in a financial aid office are not very highly paid or compensated. They did not grow up in suburban type super affluent areas themselves so that's not going to work um, but just to sum up anything that has the, uh, a bearing on your ability to pay is in play as long as it's not one of these eye rolling things um, one thing that could work that is in my opinion discretionary but I've seen this work is private high school tuition for younger siblings some colleges will ask that as a supplemental question on their financial aid application, the CSS profile. And the reason for that is that this is usually asked by Jesuit or other um, Catholic high, uh, colleges because they value um, families that were educated in the uh, Jesuit tradition and thought it was important enough to invest the money in secondary high school education, uh, private high school education. Um, or if you had to uh, send a, a child with some kind of um, learning issue or emotional issue to a private school, they, they can be really expensive. I was, I was talking to a family the other day who spent $85,000 uh, per year sending their kids to private high school. That's more than most colleges. So um, that, I would say, normally, I would say uh, that, that type of thing would, would probably sound discretionary, but um, it, it's not when you're talking about how you're bringing up your kids for religion or for um, you know, helping them succeed because they have some kind of learning disability or anxiety or emotional stuff. All right. Um, and number seven, I just, I just sort of covered that just bear in mind that your definition of a special circumstance may not jibe with a financial aid officer's definition of special circumstance. So if you have super high car payments on your you know, 7 Series BMW and all that, that is not something you want to highlight to a financial aid officer because they'll be like, well, you know, that's you could drive, you could drive a, uh, a Yugo. I don't even know if they make those anymore, but... Um, it's not going to work if you say something like, "Well, you know, I'm a realtor. And I need to, I need to, uh, you know, drive a fancy car so I can impress my clients." That's not going to work at all. Okay. Um, other examples of special circumstances. So, if you had a drop in income, I mentioned that before. If you are a dislocated or or unemployed employee since the time that you filed for financial aid. So, in other words, an example I gave before: if you have someone graduating 2020. And your 2018 income was high, but since then you lost your job. That's um, you know that's a, a, an example of a of someone either unemployed or potentially even dislocated. That's a special term. You have to look up the definition in the in the rules. Um, if you're if you're self-employed and your and your business went down the tubes, um, I talked about unusual major expenses. Uh, student challenges. That's that's one that I didn't mention before. If you if your student has had a hard time 
with um you know matriculating in school maybe had some uh medical stuff had had to you know rack up a bunch of um therapist bills anything like that that also can potentially sway the day um if you have a parent in college that is not part of the financial aid formulas because the financial aid forms ask about how many children you'll have in college. But if you're also, uh, if, if a mom or dad is pursuing graduate work, that's that definitely bears on your ability to be able to pay for college. So that should be um, that should be part of it too. So those are the main ones. And the bad examples I mentioned this before. We live in an expensive area. We pay a lot of taxes. Uh, we have a lot of credit card debt. I wouldn't mention that because those are typically discretionary. Now, if you can source them and show that they were made for like health reasons or legal or something like that, then you have a better shot. Or um, can you just give us some more money? That is not a good argument unless you have offers from other schools. Um, in that case, you want to <coughs> you want to talk to them about um, how you want to you really want to attend their school but you're being forced to consider other offers. Um, so that's important. I think it's a, that's a good segue for me to uh, to get into how to appeal. So the first thing to understand is you need to be very grateful and, and thankful for their time. Do not be aggressive. Do not ask them, oh my God, what orifice do you think I'm going to possibly pull this money out of? You guys are crazy. You know, you can say that privately to your other friends. Like, can you believe it? They they, they didn't give us any money. We're being penalized for, you know, for saving for college and all that. But you can't you can't do that on paper. So, um, we have nine steps for uh, which I call the anatomy of, of an appeal. So the first, step number one is being grateful. Do not be an ingrate. The second step is describe how excited you were. Uh, it, it, I think it's best if a child writes this. By the way, but. Um, many case, in many cases, most cases, I would say, parents are the ones who write this. So I'm going to talk about this in the voice of the child, but but feel free, because that tends to be what most financial aid officers and admissions people um, claim that they want to see. But if if you don't think your kid can pull this off, it's it's only in writing for the most part, so I, I think it's probably okay. But if for some reason you're hung up on it, don't don't sweat it. E- either way, I don't think it's going to matter. So. Um, so, so in other words, I'm very uh, th- thank you for your time and consideration of my um, uh, of my financial aid application or considering me for merit scholarships. That's that, you know, be grateful. The second part is so describe your excitement. I was thrilled to have been admitted to such and such. It's, it's my number one choice school, and you have to do that in good faith. By the way, you can't you can't uh, lie. Okay, it's a small community. Just I'm superstitious about it. Um, step number three, I would resell briefly, you know, the the benefits of having you come to that school. Um, I think I'm going to be a strong asset to the likely blank university community because of and then one, two, three, at most. Um, step number four is is to say, um, however, very concerned. My parents are very concerned about our ability to be able to pay for. Um, for this college, for my dream school, and we did receive other offers that were being forced to consider purely out of financial considerations, not in, in any way, shape, or form, because we want to go to um, any of these other schools. 
so the, the, the fifth step is to say, just I, I think I just included that, which is, is to kind of indicate that you're in play. We're being forced to consider these other schools. The sixth step is to make sure you ask. So if there's any way possible that you could possibly meet or exceed these other offers, then uh, I would, we would 100% rush our housing deposit in. That's step number seven, which is committing to, to that school. Um, some people say, well, should I ask for a specific amount? I have mixed feelings about that, and the reason is I don't want to, I don't want to lowball myself. If I'm only asking for $5,000, they would have given me ten. then that's another 5000 bucks per year, potentially, that I could have gotten, you know, twenty grand. That, that adds up. So I personally don't like to ask for a number. Um, if I were to ask for a number, and the, the fair number was ten thousand dollars. I would probably ask for twelve thousand. I would not ask for thirty, because that's unreasonable. So definitely ask, and then then commit. Set number seven is commit. You know, uh, we're we'll rush in our housing deposit. And step number eight is to uh, make sure you include all stakeholders. So I mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. If you are appealing for more need-based financial aid, I would also include admissions. If you are appealing for merit scholarships, I don't think it matters to include financial aid. But when I say stakeholders, that could also mean if you're a recruited athlete, include the coach. If you're a minority student and you're recruited by a director of minority recruitment or something, I would include them. If you have a rapport with a professor for some reason or someone else in the administration, I would include them also. It can't hurt. So be grateful, describe how excited you are, resell the benefits of admitting you, talk about other offers, indicate you're in play, make sure you ask for to be reconsidered, tell them that you'll, you'll if they can help you out, you're going to commit and include all stakeholders. Those are the eight parts of an anatomy. Uh, final steps here, make sure in every case possible you are not addressing your uh, appeal generically to whom it may concern you know you may not be able to figure out which financial aid officer in some cases should get your appeal but you can always figure out which admissions officer should get your appeal because they uh, colleges divide up by region the admissions officers who cover different parts of the country so it should be relatively easy to look it up online or just to call the office the admissions office um, you know parent versus kid most colleges want to hear from the kids, but I, I don't think it's that big a deal if the parent does this. Um, how should you send it? I would send it by email. And in many cases, I think it's good to send it regular mail. I think sending it certified is kind of overkill and a little bit too aggressive, but some people do that. Um, but no matter which way you send it, follow up. If you don't hear something in two or three days, I would absolutely um, say, hey, just want to make sure you got my letter, uh, my email. Because a lot of the stuff should happen pretty quickly. There's a, you know, most financial aid offers don't really come out until the middle of March, and May 1st is when a lot of the housing deposits have to go in. So it's a very compressed time frame, and this could, I've seen some of this happen on the uh, same day, which is kind of nuts. But usually these appeals happen within a week because there are appeal uh, committees that will review these appeals once or twice a week during peak season. So it should happen relatively quickly. And, um, yeah, that's really it. So if you um, if you want more information 
on uh, our class that we teach, which is um, very inexpensive. It's located at appealsclass.com, A-P-P-E-A-L-S-C-L-A-S-S.com. And uh, we also have a done-for-you appeal service where I actually take over the whole thing. Um, it's not always available because we get kind of swamped just with our regular college advising. But that's where you, you can get some more information. I hope you found this helpful, and I wish you the best of luck in trying to improve a lousy, stinking financial aid offer from the cold, bony fingers of the financial aid office. And uh, let me know, drop me a line, let me know uh, if this helped you at all and whether you were able to succeed. I love hearing success stories. This is Andy Lockwood signing off for the College Planning Edge. Speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Andy Lockwood. Don't forget to visit our website, lockwoodcollegeprep.com, for some more free, valuable information on how you can multiply your chances of admission to your dream colleges and qualify for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships along the way. Visit lockwoodcollegeprep.com for information on our free upcoming workshops and webinars and to download a copy of our number one best-selling book, How to Pay Wholesale for College. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Bye-bye.